This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is David Evans, CFO of Cartlinux, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 511. It's really all about the data. And, you know, honestly, I thought I was more leading edge, having a now a data scientist in the finance organization. And I went to this uh, event earlier this week, and, you know, several other CFOs are doing the same thing. But you've got to close the book. You've got to have financial data. You've got to have any control. For those, I believe, are the table stakes. And it is all about the data. And it is about working from something. But we are in that kind of unique central position to kind of leverage that and drive that across the organization. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Elizabeth Solomon, CFO of Exactly, a SaaS applications company specializing in sales performance management. It wasn't too long ago that Exactly was a private company. Then it was public. Then it was private again after being acquired by Vista Equity Partners for more than half a billion dollars. All along the way, data was top of mind, as Elizabeth explains on today's episode. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. Elizabeth, welcome. Thanks, Jack. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. So, as always, we begin by asking uh, our guests to look back, Elizabeth, and tell us a little bit about those experiences that you feel prepared you for a CFO role. What comes to mind? Well, Jack, I've, I've, I've been very fortunate to do a lot of different things in my career that, that certainly all of those contributed to me being able to perform how I, uh, where, I, where I am and how I am today. Uh, I started my career in public accounting back in the day um, when there were eight big firms. But when I think about um, several the key career milestones that, that really helped me grow those skills, I think of a few. Um, Probably the first is uh, I had had grown in my public accounting career, been promoted up to senior manager, 
working on large accounts, life was good, and then the firm nominated, nominated me for an accounting fellowship with the OCC, which is the agency that regulates national banks. And I had to compete with others within the firm and amongst the other firms, and I got the fellowship, which was uh, pretty cool, and spent two years working for the chief accountant of this banking regulatory agency in Washington, D.C., and which was something I had never thought I would do when I set out in my uh, public accounting career, um, but it was an amazing experience, and, and the big learning for me was that it was okay to get out of my comfort zone, you know, and that I could be successful doing different things. And one of the biggest things that I, that I learned in that role was uh, expanding my thought process. I think before that in public accounting, I had been helping clients apply the rules and figure out how to, making sure their numbers were correct and how to apply the rules and and uh, that were already established. But at the OCC, I had to spend time coming up with the rules, which was a very different way of thinking and uh, spent a lot of time. So I remember the first day the chief accountant said, okay, Elizabeth, what do you think the rules should be? And the first time I said, oh, wait a minute, uh, I've always been told what the rules are. So <laughs> this was um, you know, very early in my career, and it was a big uh, learning experience for me to kind of open up my way of thinking. So uh, that was one of them. The, another one was probably back in the 2000.com bubble, I went to work for a startup uh, in the healthcare technology space. And, you know, back in the day, uh, there was a lot of excitement in that space. And, again, it was a chance for me to get out of my comfort zone. I had to wear many hats in addition to leading the finance team. I had operations. I had I was testing software code. I was setting up processes, dealing with investors. And the company was one of many that did make it. Um, but uh, I learned the value of strong strategic leadership uh, as well as working with a, a, just a great team and, and the value of learning. So I think there's – you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have had those opportunities to be able to open my eyes and think about things in a different way and learn learn new things. And so those those are some critical critical steps along the way that help set me up for where I am today. Not unlike many of the CFOs we speak to, uh, perhaps your career uh, appears to have been built in uh, say three or four year increments, where you would make an investment of time. Uh, with a certain company, and then it's on to the next opportunity, uh, perhaps the next milestone. Um, I, I doubt it's as neat as it, it looks on paper, but for many finance leaders, that's that's the timing. And I'm wondering if you could share um, what your decision-making was when you would move along. And was it that simple? A milestone was reached and another opportunity came along. I doubt it, but what would you like to share with us? Things are never so neat. <laughs> Things are never that neat. No, and it's funny. It's, it's certainly when I left public accounting after I went to the, the OCC, I ended up working with Nations Bank, which became B of A. And I honestly thought I would spend the rest of my career there. You know, I, I, was, I didn't set out to have all of these different jobs at different companies. Um, but I was very fortunate, I think, uh, to answer your question, I took advantage of opportunities that came my way, not all of them, uh, and I was very fortunate to be able to do that, um, and I took risks to learn new things. So, uh, so, for example, when I was at the bank and I was promoted to senior vice president, life was good, I was getting to do new things every couple of years, and then this opportunity came up with the startup. And a former colleague at EY had called and said, hey, we've got this client. They need a finance leader. Why don't you go talk to them? 
And I just, I, I felt it out, and I just, I felt compelled to see if I could do that. And, and then, again, I moved on from there because the company didn't make it, so that was out of my control. But, uh, but then, uh, for me, it was a matter of taking advantage of opportunities that came my way. And so that's, that's advice I give um, some of the younger folks in their career is to just keep your eyes open and, and build, other, build those relationships because all of these opportunities came through relationships that I built, I built with people that I worked with or, or knew and then would reach out later. Um, I think there are times I've, I've, I'm not taking advantage of everything that came my way. You know, it's like, no, I'm not ready to move. I'm, I'm, I've, uh, you know, I'm invested here. But, uh, but I think that the most direct answer to your question is just taking advantage of the opportunity and just seeing where I was at that time. Um, I'm not sure there was a meter at, any, at every particular step along the way. But, uh, but again, I've, I've, just, I've been very fortunate. And each one has kind of built the story. And when I sit here today, it all makes sense. Um, but certainly not what I set out to do. Well, I just want to uh, point out that you arrive at Exactly, and you've had uh, several uh, CFO tours of duty. I think it was almost 10 years ago when you stepped into your first CFO role. So you arrive as a seasoned finance leader at Exactly, And this time, uh, what was the opportunity that you saw? And again, I think you um, joined the firm the end of last year, 20 year, uh, was it earlier? Correct me if I'm wrong. And the uh, end of 2017. Yeah. 2017 it was. So it was uh, not the end of last year, but 2017. I don't want people to think I'm recording a year in the past year. Um, so you were there a while. But tell us, tell us about uh, what was the opportunity that brought you to exactly? Uh, certainly. I was at a – I had come to Colorado. I was the CFO of another software, growing software company, private equity-backed um, here in, in Colorado. And really, again, had, had planned to be there, was not looking for an opportunity. Uh, I, uh, Vist Equity Partners is the private equity firm that owns exactly, and I had, I had talked with them uh, over the years, and, and just nothing was the right fit or just wasn't the right time. And uh, they reached out to me when they, they thought exactly, and the, the company is based in San Jose, but the, there was planned growth, significant planned growth here in Denver, and they wanted a, the CFO to be in Denver. Uh, and um, so they reached out at the – I think it was just timing. A lot of these things tend to be the right time because at my previous engagement, there was just a time where the there was a lack of alignment at the board level. There was not a majority owner. There was lack of alignment. It was, uh, it was very difficult to get things done. And it was just a frustrating time, you know, and it, it's not an overall reflection on the company, but just it, they, they called at the right time when I said, okay, I'll listen, you know, and um, – the more I learned about exactly and uh, being part of this Vista family, um, it just was a compelling opportunity that I had to take. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I did. One was uh, certainly Vista, this equity partners, their track record. I had been talking to them for a few years and been intrigued by their, uh, their philosophy. The second was obviously the companies, the product that we sell. It's kind of fun as a CFO to uh, be with a company that sells to CFOs. And we sell our product, our sales compensation solutions, to CFOs and head of sales ops. And so I get to play a much bigger role in helping them sell the product. And that's kind of fun. And that was a, a new for me. I think the senior team, our CEO, is an amazing track record. 
the senior team, uh, I felt very confident with the, the, the quality, the competence, and just the, the culture of the team I'd be working with, and the opportunity to kind of build the Denver office, which, I, which I've done. All of those things kind of led me to come to exactly, and they've all proven to be, um, to be as expected or, or, or really obviously much better. So it's, it's been an amazing year and a half, uh, and very, very glad to have made this decision. I wonder if uh, it's possible for you to sort of, what is this chapter that you are helping author with the other leaders there now? I mean, earlier chapters for exactly, it's a fast-growing SaaS company, um, and with a, led by uh, Chris Cabrera, this entrepreneur, very articulate, very visionary in terms of how uh, sales and finance could, you know, uh, sort of collaborate and, and uh, performance could be uh, revealed uh, to the organization at large. What, what is the chapter, though? Because, again, exactly, uh, what listeners might recall, it went public, it went private. There's this bigger trend. IPOs have trailed off. Private equity comes in and is buying up these companies once again. And what, but where is it going to go? Is it just to reach this next weight class of company? Is there, what would you tell us? No, it's a, it's a great question because um, exactly as a tremendous track record. Chris Robert, as you said, our CEO, he's founded the company, he grew the company, took it public, and, uh, you know, he was excited about the opportunity to sell the company to Vista, and he's still the CEO. In fact, he was CEO of the year in their portfolio last year. So it's a, it's a tremendous story. I mean, he, he's a whole another a podcast in and of itself with his, his background and, and the ability to kind of uh, excel in all these phases of the company. But really, I think where um, where Vista saw the opportunity is is we are taking our company and in, and we as what we've done over the last eighteen months is started this process is add different product capabilities and that's one of the things Chris would say that as a public company, you know we were not a very big public company so we were limited in some of the things we could do and there was there's this we had the vision of kind of broadening beyond our initial product suite. And with the acquisition by Vista, we've been able to do that. We've bought three companies. Uh, we also have adopted a lot of their best practices that make us a, a better company. And so I think this phase, to answer your question, this phase is all about growing our and really building out our product platform, going from a more single-threaded product company to a whole platform company, uh, adopting the Vista best practices and, and, and making us a better company in how we operate, processes and, and how we go to market, and they have, you know, a, a, a plethora of, of best practices that they help us do. I was just at a, uh, one of them is bringing all of their leaders together, functional leaders together. Uh, once a year, I was just there earlier this week where they brought all the CFOs together and we spent time together sharing experiences and helping each other and, and learning things. And so that's what this chapter is about, is really optimizing what we can do, building on the platform, building on the foundation that exactly had as an incentive compensation company into really a sales performance management company. So it's kind of fun. Um, there's challenges, and, and, you know, we're growing fast. And, you know, the CFO, I have to help make sure we do that in the right way and working with our sales marketing product leaders, uh, go to market, and, and how we do that. Um, and that's what I think my sweet spot is. So that, this is kind of fun. It's a fun ride. It's great, uh, great leadership team. Uh, we have an amazing culture, and um, and so far so good. 
Now, usually, I, uh, and I'm going to ask you about what, what metrics are top of mind, but I think we already know that you're going to, it's a SaaS company, so we're going to hear about annual recurring revenue. We're going to hear about uh, lifetime, lifetime customer value. Uh, what, what I'm curious about is, had you, and, and perhaps you had, there were a number of technology companies that you were uh, a CFO of in the past and a, and a string of companies before that in the tech sector, but uh, were you involved with a SaaS company and a SaaS model? I was involved with, my previous companies had been uh, part SaaS and part, uh, you know, uh, legacy perpetual model or a mixed model, so to speak. So my last company, it was a software company, a mixed model offered both. Uh, I was with um, uh, data and analytics, software data and analytics companies that had a SaaS offering but also had others. So this is my first time in a pure SaaS business. As you look in and you discover the visibility that you enjoy as a SaaS leader, if you can give us a, a comparison, are you enjoying, um, you know, these metrics that are so uh, top of mind throughout the organization, not just finance? I know that uh, a lot of this information is shared broadly. What would you tell us? Oh, no doubt. Um, and it's, uh, it, is, it is fun, and certainly, the, you know, it, it, it's pretty common the, the types of metrics that SaaS companies look for, new bookings, customer retention, you know, like cost of acquisition, uh, deal size, you know, all those types of things. But what's been really fun here, and, and again, one of the best practices, we just implemented some uh, new systems uh, or re-implemented some systems and processes so that we can capture data better across the across the company. And, um, and for the first time in my career, actually, I have a data scientist on my team because we now are involved, which is kind of fun. Uh, we're involved in helping look at kind of all the way from top of funnel in the marketing organization all the way through to close deals. You know, what is our trend? How are we doing? What's conversion rates? Which marketing programs are more effective? You know, which segments of the business are doing better? Where can we um, make investments? Where do we need to tweak? So it's that kind of, it, it really is, yeah, it's really all about the data. And, you know, honestly, I thought I was more leading edge, having a now a data scientist in the finance organization. And I went to this uh, event earlier this week, and, you know, several other CFOs are doing the same thing. But I think that's kind of part of the changing nature of the finance organization in today's world. It's really um, the key is getting the data, clean data. I heard that theme a lot, too, clean data in the right place so that, that you can analyze it. And it's been, I, I think, one of the, the most interesting things in my career in recent years is that evolution from kind of CFOs as control and, you know, you've got to close the books, you've got to have financial, you've got to have AP controls and things, but those, I believe, are the table stakes. And really, this is my sweet spot and what, what I think I, my value to the organization is about helping that provide that insight into the business. And it is all about the data, and it is about working cross-functionally. But we are in that kind of unique central position to kind of leverage that and drive that across the organization. So, um, so I think, and, and the, you know, then we can make sure those metrics are clear and we have insight into really what's driving the results. Uh, so th it, this is definitely um, kind of diff a different view than maybe 10 years ago when I was first time C CFO. You touched on a, a few of the metrics for us, but um, is there a non-financial metric, and maybe you mentioned this, forgive me, is there a non-financial metric that you're paying close attention to these days, whether it's the net promoter score or uh, 
uh, employee retention sometimes. But uh, anything come to mind when I ask for a, a non-financial metric that you're uh, increasingly paying attention to, let's say? Well, certainly the most important that we focus on pretty much every day are, you know, bookings, customer retention, EBITDA, cash. Those are kind of your table stakes, revenue. Um, but, yes, absolutely, net promoter score. And, you know, you pay more attention when those things, when they're not as good, right? When they're, when they're good, you're like, okay, good, making sure you continue to do things. Um, net promoter score, employee turnover. Uh, particularly in today's environment, the, 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 the competition for talent is hard. It's, it's, this is the tightest market that I can remember, uh, and certainly in, in so many different markets around the country, Denver, we're, we're feeling that. Um, so customer retention, I mean, excuse me, employee retention, and really uh, when we have turnover, really understanding why and making sure that we're staying ahead of that because none of this can, we can't do any of this without the right talent in the company. So that is one that's probably bubbled up more in recent months just because of the tightness of low unemployment and the tightness of the market. We'll be back with CFO Elizabeth Salomon after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Elizabeth, we always ask our guests for what we refer to as a finance strategic moment, which was at some point in your career, your lines of sight into the organization allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk that you responded to, whether you pointed uh, your team in a different direction or whether you avoided a risk or the company avoided a risk, whatever it may have been. What comes to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah, a few. Probably the one that was the most impactful was back maybe 15 years ago, I was running a team, and we, we led the due diligence for the, it was a, the billion-dollar public company, and we led the due diligence for um, uh, acquisitions for the company. And the company was pretty acquisitive. It did 20 acquisitions in three years I was in that role, a couple of divestitures. And so we would go in and we'd, you know, we'd get the financial model that the M&A team would put together, and we would go in and, um, you know, and we weren't the deal team. We were the diligence team. So we would go in and, and check out, check the books, go check the company, make sure everything's for real, and make sure the numbers, you know, the company, everything, you know, they really had cash, they really had billings, they really had customers, things like that. And there was one deal where, and usually usually we got aligned with the deal team and, you know, everything worked fine. Um because usually by the time we got into the deal, it was a pretty solid deal, and, you know, everything aligned with what the, the company wanted to do. I remember one instance where we we got into a company, and we did our work, and the numbers just didn't make sense. You know, to me, anyway, it's like, wait a minute, based on this model, the numbers to do this deal just don't make sense. And, you know, I was 
you know, I wasn't the experienced uh, M&A deal person, but um, I, I remember going, wait a minute, why are we moving forward with this deal? And really had to step up and, and you know, oftentimes, and this will, this will kind of play into the book I recommend later, is oftentimes, uh, especially in acquisition, those things can gain momentum, you know, in discussion, and it's kind of hard to stop that train at a company. And I had to really step up and say, look, I don't think this makes sense, and, you know, here's the premise, but the numbers don't support that, and really had to step up and, and you know, in a difficult situation, bring the bad news. And um, and I felt pretty strongly about it, and it turned out that I was right. So <laughs> that was um, an uncomfortable time, but it made me realize that, you know, I I can play in the strategic era as well, I can, I, in that arena as well, with, with senior leaders, and, you know, so it gave me the confidence as I thought about future opportunities um, that, you know, I kind of know what I'm doing here, right, and uh, so that was, um, it was a good, it was, it was a kind of a, one of those pivotal moments. We're going to step into our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to uh, inspire and inform future finance leaders. What's exciting you about finance and business today? I think I may have, I may have talked about this a, a few minutes ago, but I think it's the role we play in driving the business forward. And again, as I think I found my sweet spot as an operational type CFO, helping the business uh, and help providing that insight and helping to guide the business. And I think um, you know, in in the past, in my early days as CFO, obviously each each company had its own situation, different situation on this turnaround, so you've got very different focus. But uh, but I think that is what excites me today. That's where I spend my time, and um, and I think in, and more importantly, I think the role that data and analytics data and analytics play today, and and how finance my team drives that with the company. Um, that's what's exciting. And this is, uh, I think now, again, I, as I mentioned, I have a data scientist on my team. Would never have thought that, you know, five years ago that that's what I would have. But really that helps us provide, you know, cause it's too easy, as, as you just said, Jack, about M&A, it's too easy in a business where, let's say we miss a quarter of bookings in a certain segment. And it's so easy to have anecdotal explanations for that. Oh, well, that's because so-and-so was sick. Or that's because... You know, it's the summertime and everyone's on vacation. Or it's very easy to explain things away with anecdotes, but it, but you can't ever, but it, you can't back it up. That the data really will always tell you the truth. And so, I think being able to um, having access to the data, the analytics tools, the insight that we can provide, and the position that we have with the rest of the senior set, senior team, and the CEO. Um, I've got great team. I've got great people on my team that we are now in the seat providing that analytics and providing that data. We're sitting with the head of sales, planning how we're going to go to market and deploy our sales team. Um, you know, where do we need resources? How does that align? How does our pipeline from the marketing side? How does that align by segment and by region? Are we getting the traction? Are we getting the performance? And if we're, you know, if we miss a month, what's going on and how do we course correct? So I think the most exciting thing is being in that role with the data and insight to help the business make decisions. That's, that's, that's what I like. That's why I'm doing this. This is my, that's my sweet spot. I, I, 
I think I, 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 I understand how you're distinguishing yourself in some way. You used the term go-to-market. That's your sweet spot. You said that earlier, and now you're saying driving the business. So it's all that, that entanglement with the other business functions and understanding how finance complements them and empowers exactly. them. Yes. Your insight, your understanding of that. You're not, you're not standing alone. Just, uh, just to clarify that, too, I think it's because finance is in this unique central role because you've got sales, marketing doing their thing, and it's, it's not even just go to market, but say our, our product team. But we're in that unique role where we kind of see across and being able to kind of partner with those business leaders with the data and insight instead of just, you know, the traditional finance role is, oh, okay, well, we'll just close the books and pay the bills, right? And, you know, make sure we don't run out of cash. So that's just a very traditional old school way. And now being kind of in the game, working closely, and, and I think finance has a unique perspective kind of where we are in the organization. So Now, you mentioned a data scientist that I think uh, you said had been added to the finance team. Professional, that might be deemed a luxury uh, for, for most finance uh, teams. But this is somebody that is um, dedicated to your finance team, and, Correct. Uh, meaning that you have access to them. And, and they are a part of the conversation as you examine how to better manage and measure the business. Do you think, this, do you think these types of professionals are going to be part of uh, finance teams across industries? Or is this just sort of something unique to companies like Exactly, which uh, are pretty uh, pretty advanced in terms of data and measuring uh, data pools and using analytics? It's a great question. I honestly think, and again, the, the talent that I have is not a, is a, is not a it, she's fairly early in her career, and but it's that kind of um, you know data analytics person coming out of school, if you think about it, the, the, the one I have on my team is, is, is fairly early in her career, but she just brings that perspective. She's able to take uh, take data and, and find trends in data that I can't see, right, because she has these regressions, you know, she does linear regression analyses that, that um, I can't begin to do, but she can see those trends, right? That's just, so again, these are the, it, it's not even a super expensive resource, but somebody that can take data and look at it in a way that and provide some insight. That's really what all that is. Um, now, to do that, and I've heard this from other CFOs as well, you have to make sure your data is clean, it's aligned, and that's I've heard that consistently from other CFOs this week. That that's a big effort, you know, and that you know data is important and data is the key, but you have to have the right data and it has to be clean and, and analyzable, if that's a word. Um, but um, to answer your question, I do. I I don't. I think it's. I don't think it's just a software thing. I think it's just um, I, this. I believe this type of skill would be transferable into any industry because it's really just taking data around your business, whether it's sales data, whether it's manufacturing data, and providing some insights and trends in the data that that the naked eye can't see. I think that's what that's how I see it, and that that are that provides better insight into what's going on than than the anecdotes and the subjective thoughts about, you know, what's going on in the business and help us, you know, help us. And where I, like, again, where we're using it and deploying it initially is really around our go-to-market where it's, you know, how, is, how are our marketing leads translating into sales opportunities and into close, into good, you know, close deals. So that's where we decided to deploy that first. But I think we could deploy it in 
many areas of our business. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to jump back 10 years um, to roughly the time you, you first stepped into a CFO role, and correct me if I'm getting my facts wrong here. Um, and what is that piece of advice? Again, you wish someone had shared with you when you first stepped into that leadership role, when you, you had the whole finance leadership responsibility on your shoulders. What is that piece of advice for the first time? Can you recall for us what it was that, as you look back, if only I knew that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a lot I wish I knew back then. And my first CFO role was a – it's a big de- it's a big deal. And my first CFO role also was with a company. It was a turnaround situation. So the company was you know, really going in the wrong direction. We had to do a lot of things to get it back on track. So there was, there was, it was pretty stressful. Um, and, I, you know, I was – you know, I certainly was afraid of failing and wanted to make sure we did everything right and, uh, there's, uh, you know, put a lot of pressure on myself. But I think what probably the one thing that I would, at the top of the list of things I would tell that person back then is is be a soft skills advocate, if you will. You know, focus on sometimes CFO, I remember me, I was so in the weeds on the numbers and the process and, you know, making sure that, um, if I, if I had, went, had to go back and do it over, I would make sure I was focusing on the soft skills, the relationships, and those types of things that sometimes get lost when you're in the, in the heat of the battle in the finance world. Is there a uh, personal habit or a daily routine that you have personally that you believe has in some way contributed to your success professionally? Uh, personal habit? Um, for me, fitness is a big part. You know, it's a big priority for me. Uh, staying physically fit helps me stay mentally fit. Um, the key is I found as I get older is because I, I try to get up and do an early morning workout. Um, the key is making sure I get enough sleep as I get as I get older. I guess that gets harder uh, because this is obviously it's a very demanding uh, demanding role mentally, and you know it, I've, I've learned over the years and appreciated the impact of the mental drain on, on the physical part, you know, so making sure I take care of myself. Because, um, you know, certainly I know I've gotten where I am today because of my ability to learn and, and drive and being adaptable, and that takes, you know, being mentally on your game every day. And I've had a, I had an executive coach that told me this a few years ago, and I think this, um, you know, she goes, you have to think of yourself as, as – like a finely tuned athlete, like what do you, you know, athletes rest and, and make sure they recharge and they get the right training and, you know, and if you think about the skills that I have to bring every day as CFO in a very fast-paced, private equity-backed, you know, fast-growing company, um, I have to apply those disciplines. And so whether it's, you know, getting the, being in physically good shape, getting enough rest and those types of things, so I, I, I think about that sometimes. One of the, uh, I, I think, interesting uh, parts of your, your bio and your career has been, um, unlike uh, many of the finance leaders we speak to, uh, who have surprisingly, I think, built their career in one geography or one part of the country, you uh, have been somewhat fearless, I think, in terms of how you've moved around during your career or during your life. I mean, it, it began perhaps in Georgia. You mentioned the D.C. tour of duty for us. Uh, but, I mean, you also have lived in uh, 
had, had tours of duty, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, there's a Wisconsin, there's, and this might be where the companies are headquartered. So again, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've moved around quite a bit. Now you're at, you mentioned Colorado and that's where you're based today. But uh, tell us about that and the choices you made when you did move. Sure, and it's, it's funny. I, when I look back and I think about it, it's certainly not what I set out to do. I just, as part of taking advantage of opportunities, I had somebody ask me if I was running from the law because I've moved around so much. But, um, but I, I, I was a, uh, my father was in the military, as an attorney in the Navy, and so I, you know, I, I had moved around some as, as a child, and I didn't grow up in all one place. So. Um, you know, when I, I moved to Atlanta after college and then went to D.C. and opportunities took me, kept me still in the South. And then it was my, um, I, I actually, my first CFO opportunity took me to the Midwest. And I'd never lived in that in that area. But it was uh, working for a, a gentleman that I'd worked with before as a colleague. And so um, I took the chance and found out, you know, I kind of like the Midwest. <laughs> and so... I, I had the philosophy of, uh, just as we talked about earlier, Jackson, taking advantage of the opportunities. If it was the right opportunity, and even if it meant moving to a different place, um, I was fortunate in my personal life that I was able to do that. And, um, you know, I, I certainly was open to moving to many different places, not, not, not everywhere. But uh, I always have a philosophy of going to a new place, and there's always something good about a place to live. And... My goal is to accentuate the good, minimize the bad, and take advantage of the career opportunities. So for me, um, those opportunities, the, the different cities, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, L.A., all came with those opportunities. Um, I, with that said, now being here in Colorado, I'm hoping to stay here a while. So <laughs> hopefully this is uh, this is not just a two- or three-year stint. I've already been here four, so hopefully – Hopefully I can uh, hopefully can stay here longer, but but yeah, I, I I look at it as being very fortunate to be able to take advantage of opportunities, and I wasn't afraid to move to different places, and my situation allowed me to do that, um, and that you know allowed me to take advantage of these opportunities and, and move up to uh, where I am today. Yeah, and just to point out, this last chapter we didn't uh, see you moving to Silicon Valley. In fact, that's perhaps no. maybe the one place you haven't lived. <laughs> that's correct. I know. That's right, and and no, and and they uh, certainly with exactly I think the philosophy is they they wanted me here, so I am the only C level of our company here based in Denver, but uh, but yes, no, but I do visit there quite a bit. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? And it doesn't have to be a finance book, please, but um, just to reveal something about yourself, is there a book you'd recommend? There is. I mean, I I love reading about. I love reading true stories about successful companies and also kind of the, the things that go really wrong, like uh, I read most recently Bad Blood. I mean, those are fascinating to me. But I think the book I'd recommend, the other types of books I, I like reading about are how the mind works. I'm fascinated by it. Maybe if I weren't in finance, I'd study psychology. Because, uh, and there was a book I read by Chip Heath called Decisive, and it's about, it's about how to make better choices in life and work. And it talks about kind of the, the phenomenon of making decisions. And this is where they have a chapter on companies making acquisition decisions and how so many, like you, you mentioned earlier, 
just don't don't work out, and just for why that is. And so to me, I read I re- reread that book. I think it came out maybe three or four years ago. I reread it every once in a while just because it it prompts me to remember the kind of the things, the fallacies of decision making, and some of the bad habits we can get into in making decisions. And so um, I'm always fascinated by by you know how the brain works and kind of how uh, and certainly my life and my career and, and my personal life is all about making good decisions. So um, I think that's a, that's a pretty good book to read. Well, nice choice. We haven't had it before, so thank you. We're going to jump to our final question where I get to ask you finally to look forward for us and tell us what your priorities as a finance leader are over the next 12 months. We have clear goals for our business, so obviously my job is to help our company hit those goals. So it's really around, um, you know, providing the insight as we we have our plan that the company is working towards and providing that insight uh, to see how we're doing and give the data and, you know, the strategic input into uh, helping the company stay on track. And then in, in their where there are areas, and inevitably there's something that won't be exactly the plan, and then helping the company figure out, you know, how do we course correct and how do we make any adjustments that we need to make. Um, uh, certainly, I'm continuing to build out. Another priority for me is continuing to build out my team. I have the legal team and the uh, and the finance team uh, that report to me, as well as uh, all of the administration and facilities that report to me. So uh, helping to finish uh, building that team out. Uh, and then setting us up for uh, our growth plans for the following year as well. So really kind of that business partner work with the business, that's, what, that's pretty much what I do every day is how are we doing on, on track across the company, uh, providing that insight into how we're doing and then where things are, uh, whether we're ahead or, or, or behind on our plan, you know, what do we do about it? Um, so that's, that's, that's what I see my job every day. Elizabeth Solomon, thank you for joining us on CFO Coffee. Thank you, Jack. It's been a pleasure to be with you in the audience today. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or, if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.